I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And And you're you're listening listening to Rad Rad Child Child Podcast. Podcast. All right. Welcome to another episode of Way to Go and Room to Grow. Uh, We actually have a couple of announcements today before we get started. First of all, we're just having uh, one episode of Way to Go and Room to Grow this month. I know usually we have two, um, but we usually do sort of two uh, related topics. And this month, we're only doing one topic. We're talking about the topic of sexual orientation for our main episodes. So we're just going to have one extra long, extra juicy episode uh, for you today. Um, and our uh, my second announcement is that we actually have a very special guest today, which is exciting because we don't usually have guests on these episodes, but um, this person is super knowledgeable about Kidslit and especially about LGBTQIA Kidslit, so I just thought it would be a great opportunity to have another voice. I'm sure you're tired of just hearing me and Rebecca talk all the time, <laughs> so I thought it could be fun to have another person, so I'm going to invite them to introduce themselves, and we're just going to do our uh, name, pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids and your relationship with kids lit sure well thank you for having me on I'm, I'm honored my name is dana rudolph and my pronouns are she and her uh, i grew up in connecticut but i am now living with my family in massachusetts outside of boston and my spouse and i have a 17 year old son who is a rising senior in high school Oh it's man, a fr- it's a little frightening to say. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to do the whole college search thing during COVID, oh, which is a whole experience. Oh um, gosh, I can imagine. But when he was about two, I started a blog and resource directory uh, for and about lesbian moms and other queer parents. And one of the themes that I've stuck with over the years is LGBTQ inclusive kids literature. And I've reviewed, I'd like to think, just about everything that's been published in the last 15 years <laughs> in that realm, although I'm guessing a, a few things might have slipped by. Um, but it's definitely been an area of focus because there has been such a growth in it, um, particularly mm-hmm. in the last five years or so. And so both being part of the community myself and having spent a lot of time reading what's out there, reading the books coming from major publishers, reading the self-published works that have come out because people were desperate for things that they weren't finding (laughs) from the major publishers. Um, You know, I've, um, you know, I've kind of given myself an education about what's there. uh, I think what's needed also. And I'm excited to discuss some of that with you both today. Yeah, thank you again so much for being here. I'm excited to, to have another person to chat with about books who's passionate about it because I know Rebecca and I are both. That's part of the reason I started this podcast because I always joke that my wife was like tired of me talking to her about things that she didn't care about. She was like, find someone else to talk <laughs> to about these things. And uh, I was and happy I, to I step in. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I'm actually sort of going off that. Um, I was actually kind of thrilled. We uh, we all have quite a few books to talk about today. And I was thrilled that there are, were so many books to choose from um, about this topic, because I know we've had topics in the past that it was like slim pickings. Uh, and so I'm just like you were saying, I'm glad that um, a lot of 
you know, both self-published and major publishers have been, uh, you know, writing these kinds of stories and publishing these kinds of stories. Um, so I guess I'll jump right in and talk about uh, the couple of books that I have. So the first one is probably the more well-known one out of the three that I picked, uh, and it's called Prince and Knight. And it's by Daniel Hack, uh, illustrated by Stevie Lewis. And it was published by Little Bee Books, which is an imprint of uh, Bonnier Publishing. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm in Montreal, so I'm pronouncing it like it's a French word. Um, <laughs> uh, but at any rate, so it's it's a really sweet little book. It's... Um, uh, you know, sort of a twist on a traditional fairy tale. And it uh, has, what was I going to say? Oh, it's a, it's like a rhyming book, which I know sometimes we have mixed, Rebecca and I have kind of mixed uh, relationships with, but this one I think is actually really well done. I think the rhymes don't feel forced and it sort of, I don't know, I think it sort of flows with the idea of it being like a fairy tale. It kind of goes with those, the traditional way those books are written. Um, but anyway, so it's about a prince and essentially it's, you know, his parents feel like it's time for him to find, uh, you know, a bride uh, to marry, a woman to marry. And he's meeting all these women and he's just kind of like, eh, I'm not feeling it. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a line in the book that says, thank you. He told his parents, I appreciate that you tried, but I'm looking for something special and a partner by my side. So they're like trying to figure that out. Uh, and then while that's while that's going on, they're sort of away meeting all these different uh, potential, you know, brides and a dragon attacks their town. Uh, and so the prince, you know, comes back to save the town and uh, save the village and he goes to fight the dragon. And while he's there fighting the dragon, there's also a knight who has shown up to fight the dragon. And, you know, they both sort of go back and forth doing their different things to fight the dragon. And at one point, the prince gets up on the dragon and is sort of like tying a rope around it to incapacitate it. And that works, but he ends up falling off of the dragon. And then the knight, you know, catches him and they have this romantic, you know, moment where he takes his helmet off and he's very handsome. And, you know, they, uh, it's sort of a love at first sight deal. And then they, uh, they go back, you know, to, this is one of the things I actually like about it. They go back to town and they don't get married like the next day, which I appreciate, uh, which happens in a lot of fairy tales. They, you know, it's, it's sort of alludes that they take some time to get to know each other um, and then uh, I really like the, the last two pages read, the king and queen have come back to and were overwhelmed with joy. We have finally found someone who is perfect for our boy. And on the two men's wedding day, the air filled with cheer and laughter for the prince and his shining knight would live happily ever after. And it's a very cute picture of them like holding hands facing each other on their wedding day. And there's like rose petals in the air. Uh, the illustrations are very, very beautiful. They're sort of um, painterly. Uh, and um, so overall, I mean, I, I really like it. I think it's a really cute book. Like I said, I like that it's kind of a spin on, uh, on you know, traditional fairy tale. I like when we sort of take things and queer them. <laughs> I just think it's fun. Um, but what I really, my sort of way to goes are, I really appreciate that there's um, a lot of diversity in the representation, at least when it comes to skin color of characters. Like the, the prince is... Um, I read him as white, but the uh, the knight is a person of color. A lot of the princesses are people of color. Um, so I, I appreciated that diversity, especially again, when we're talking about fairy tales where traditionally, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of characters are white. Um, I appreciated that representation. I also like, because I'm usually working with younger kids, I kind of like rhyming books and books that are easy to like fun to read and have a good rhythm to them. Um, and so I appreciated that about this one. Like I said, the illustrations, I also really love. 
Um, my weighted goes for this book. Well, I love the diversity in uh, skin color in characters. There's not a lot of body diversity. Everybody's very skinny. They're all the same height. It's like very cookie cutter. Like all these princesses um, kind of look very, very similar. They have different hairstyles, but that's about it. Um, and uh, same thing with the prince, the knight, the parents, everybody, and even like the townspeople. Um, I'd have to take a look at some of the sort of townspeople shots, but I think even there's one guy who's got like kind of a tummy on him, but everybody is more or less sort of the same uh, build. So I would have liked to see, you know, maybe some different, like, give me a chubby princess. Come on. Um, and I also, while I appreciated the fact that they didn't get married, like immediately there, it was, I think that the sort of love at first sight and idea that like, there's only one person for you narrative can be a little like not, not great for kids and give them unrealistic expectations about relationships and love. Um, but you know, those are, I think kind of two minor things. And again, things that you could talk about with your kids, you could say, Hmm, do you, you know, when I met, you know, your other parent or when I met my partner, whoever, like that, you know, I dated a lot of people before then. And when I met them, we were friends for a while before, you know, and you could like have those kinds of conversations, I think, um, about those, about those things and not just leave it at love at first sight. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a good book. I think it's a book worth having. Um, it was one of those books that when I first, I, I actually stumbled upon it in a bookstore and I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad this exists. Um, so yeah, overall, I'm really, I'm just glad it exists and I really like it. Um, and also, uh, just, just as a side note for y'all. Oh, there we go. Dana, do you have something to say? Uh, I just wanted to mention that the same author came out with a book in I guess about a year after that one came out called mm -hmm. Made It Maiden and Princess, yes. which is about uh, two women falling in love. I wasn't going to talk about it today, but I just thought I'd mention that it does exist. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking for something on the distaff side, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. I actually haven't gotten my hands on that one. Um, I have, and again, this is like total hearsay. The A couple of people that I talked to told me that they liked it slightly less than Prince and Knight, but honestly, I don't remember why um and i haven't gotten my hands on it so i can't particularly give it a good i don't know have you read it dana yes i have uh i did like it um it is different the, the illustrator is different and it has a, a mm -hmm. very different feel um but i did like it i think there's more racial diversity in it um, oh that's good the, the, the royal family in it uh is all uh, black for example and it's kind of a broad multiracial. Uh, court so I, I like that and as with uh, Prince and Knight they don't rush in to, to wed which seems very nice <laughs> yeah um, I appreciate that I you know, I haven't reread it recently enough to really give an opinion right now on, on which I like better but um, yeah totally I was just curious because like I don't, I don't remember who I was talking to that had mentioned that they you know they weren't not that they didn't like it but that they liked the uh, prince and knight better so i was curious to hear your opinion but that's the it's funny that about the like running rushing into marriage thing i when i was first um when i first started babysitting uh back when i was younger i had this book from when i was a kid about fairy tales and i thought oh i'll bring it with me that'll be fun we'll read a fairy tale before bed and i was reading she chose sleeping beauty so we read sleeping beauty and the end of the, and the book basically ended with um, 
he kissed her to wake her up and then they got married the next day and as i was re- as i was like reading like pre-reading before i said it out loud i was like absolutely not and i'm reading the book and i'm like um and then he you know tapped her on the shoulder and woke her up and then they dated for a couple of years and they decided <laughs> they liked each other and then they decided to get married uh they decided marriage was the thing that they that was for them and i just like made up this whole ending because i was like i don't want to just read this book about you know like kissing up sleeping person without their consent and then marrying them the next day because they woke you up from an enchanted slumber i don't know <laughs> oh my gosh you want there are a couple other um queer fairy tale books that i could just mention briefly or oh not. yeah um I, I did a whole post on this a while back so if you want me to i will yes please okay so yeah, the uh the exciting thing is that there are a number of queer fairy tale books out now. Um, there's actually an older one, uh, one of the first uh, inclusive kids, LGBTQ inclusive kids books called King and King. Mm-hmm. From, well, it was published in the Netherlands in 2000 and in an English version in 2002. Uh, and then a sequel called King and King and Family. I don't like those as much because the parents are more objectionable <laughs> i think yeah they they don't like the fact that the prince doesn't want to marry a princess and they're, they're just not nice people um so i don't like that but there's one called the bravest knight who ever lived by daniel mm-hmm. erico that came out in 2014 and has a, a newer edition now and was actually made into a kids animated series on hulu yes i saw that when i was doing research which is so awesome um, there's a few others from smaller presses. Um, there's one called The Princess and the Treasure um, by Jeffrey Miles. There's one called Prince Henry by Ollie Pike. And then there's a graphic novel called The Prince and the Dressmaker also. Yeah, I've heard good things. I I think I also heard that was maybe being turned into yes. uh, something, right? A movie yes. or a show? Uh, that yeah. one, I think also it skews a little bit older. Um, yeah, because the protagonist is supposed to be a teen, uh, but it is a graphic novel and it's wonderful. So if you're looking for something for older kids in this area, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, there's another one that I'm thinking of that I'm just going to quickly look up my brain. Oh, it's it's less of like a like a straight up fairy tale, but it's called The Princess of Great Daring. And that uh, mm-hmm. that is by Toby Hill Meyer. Um, and that's published by Flamingo Rampant, who we talk about a lot. And basically it's about a little trans girl who is coming out to her friends through play and they're playing, you know, uh, like a fantasy sort of setting where one of them wants to, you know, be a print, prince and one of them wants to be a knight. And, you know, and that's her way of coming out to them saying, well, I want to be the princess. And, um, and so that's another cute, sort of fairy tale-esque book but yeah it's really great that there's again like I was saying earlier that there's so many um so many books like that now it's awesome but I appreciate anything that's just breaking out of those traditional fairy tale kind of stereotypes because they're not they're not great (laughs) definitely oh my goodness um any at any rate my my next book is um a little lesser well-known actually honestly I've never heard anybody talk about this book I totally stumbled upon it in the library um at one point and I um I it was funny because I was the book is called Gilbert the Ghost and I was babysitting for a kid who uh was obsessed with like spooky things um and I just saw ghost and I was like whatever 
great. It's about a ghost. He'll love it. And then I read it and was <laughs> like, oh my goodness, this is such a beautiful book. Um, and it is by uh, Guido Van Genechten. Um, and uh, it is, he's the author and illustrator. Um, and it was published by Clavis Publishing. Um, so basically, it's it's not really overtly uh, about sexuality, which I actually kind of like, um, but basically it's about this little ghost and his name is Gilbert and he's sort of always been different. He's uh, he's pink and all the other ghosts are white um, and that really doesn't like make a difference to anybody like, you know, to his parents or to anybody else throughout the story, but he just happens to be a pink ghost um, and he, you know, as all ghosts do, he has to go to ghost school um and at ghost school he likes all his classes but he doesn't really like scaring class he doesn't like being scary and the principal uh teaches that class and one day the principal is teaching them all how to say boo and gilbert can't really bring himself to say boo and instead he says bahoo and uh the principal gets very mad at this and tells him you know okay maybe not great pedagogy for uh an educator um tell basically um banishes him to the abandoned tower until he can be scary or tells him to not come back at all so uh maybe maybe uh, not something to do as a teacher <laughs> um but at any rate so gilbert goes to the abandoned tower and there he meets a cat named meow and meow is a black cat with a little pink bow on his tail and they become fast friends and they stay in the abandoned tower and they find you know some like some stuff in the tower like some old linens and they make curtains and they basically just make a home for themselves in the abandoned tower um there's a a page where meow is going to pick flowers for gilbert and it says when meow wandered into the pasture nearby he often picked a bunch of flowers for gilbert because he knew they made him happy and late at night when they sat in their chairs and listened to each other's stories meow would start to purr because he was happy too and there's like a picture of meow sitting on gilbert's lap um so eventually they so basically they just kind of become life partners and live in the abandoned tower together um and they uh and then at the the, the last page says the last couple of pages say and the other are uh, uh, when the young ghosts were tired this is about the other the other ghosts when they were done being scary and haunting when the young ghosts were tired of their own haunting they floated towards the abandoned tower gilbert and meow made them comfortable and served tea and homemade cookies in the abandoned tower the ghosts were always polite and friendly they never deliberately spilled their tea they said please and thank you and these cookies are delicious would you happen to have some more and instead of screeching scarily they said bahoo quietly and gently just like gilbert um, so basically, they just sort of like make a life for themselves in the abandoned tower, and uh, all the you know all the other ghosts come and hang out with them. And I just thought it was like a very sweet story. Um, I I appreciate it. Again, it's not like you know uh, so much overtly about sexuality like Prince and, and Knight was, um, but I appreciate that it's just like we could just have two you know male characters who are you know being um, portrayed in a you know sort of more gender expressive like feminine way where we have like meow with his pink bow and we have gilbert who's pink um you know again not to say that colors are mean anything but you know in the more traditional sense um and so i guess i i just appreciate it i don't know i just thought it was a really cute story um i really like the illustrations as well and i think it's really important to have stories um where we can just have queer characters existing and it not be about that. Um, I the only things my sort of way to uh, or room to grows would be that um, again, like I said, I'm not really a fan of the way the principal conducts himself, and I think that would maybe need to be you know spoken about. Um, but you know we've all had that teacher, I guess. Uh, 
you know, that banishes us to an abandoned tower. <laughs> hey, I once, when I was in the first grade, I had a teacher who made me sit facing the wall for a whole year. So it happens, yo. Um, and then the only other thing I don't like is in that same page where the principal uh, is sort of, um, is, you know, banishing him to the abandoned tower. There's a chalkboard in the background and there's a drawing on the chalkboard that says the principal is crazy. And I'm not wild about the word crazy um, as we've talked about in the past because, you know, it's ableist. Um, But yeah, but overall, I mean, again, those are two minor things that you would maybe have to talk to your kids about. Um, But overall, I just thought it was a sweet book. It was like such a nice surprise to find in the library. I love when that happens. Um, that's actually how we've talked about Anastasia Hagenbotham before, but that's actually how I found out about her books. It's hmm. just, I, I found Tell Me About Sex Grandma just in the library one day and was like, what is this magical book? How do I not know about it? <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I really like that book. And I, again, I think it's nice to have a story where it's just like, hey, we can have two male characters who are just, you know, having a cute little life together. It's not like, it's like whatever, no one, that's not the point of the story, you know? Um, and I think it's just a sweet story about being different. Um, and then my, <clears throat> my final book is, uh, the hips on the drag queen go swish, 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 which is actually another one that I stumbled upon. I think I was reading uh, like an article or a list about another book and it was at the bottom, like, oh, you might enjoy these books. And I was like, again, I was like, how have I not heard of this book? <laughs> um, it's so funny when we're so like in this world, I always get so surprised when there are books I haven't heard of, but it's great. There are so many coming out every day. Um, but anyway, this uh, this book is by Little Miss Hot Mess, who's a drag queen, uh, and it's illustrated by Olga de Dios, uh, and it is published by Running Press Kids. Um, and basically, it's a parody of The Wheels on the Bus, but instead it's The Hips on the Drag Queen. Uh, some, I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but some notable lyrics are, uh, the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. We have the boots on the drag queen go stomp, stomp, stomp. The shoulders on the drag queen go shimmy, 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 uh, et cetera. Um, so not so much, while I do just appreciate that it's like a fun, a fun parody and a fun song you could sing with kids, um, not so much for its, uh, meaningful, <laughs> um, <laughs> lyric but more for just the representation and the illustrations in the book. There's a lot of body diversity um, out of, in the, like in the front cover, um, there's like, I don't know what you call it, like when you first open the book on like the inside cover, um, there's sort of pictures of all of these fictional drag queens and their names. And they're out of the 10, only two of them are white. Um, which I appreciate. They're all different body types, all different races. One of them is even purple, um, <laughs> which I like. Um, and uh, so I and and out of the two that are white, one of them is um, a person of size, and one of them is like a sort of masculine presenting. Like they're Cinderella, and they have like a mustache, and um, some of them have. Uh, I appreciate like the different presentation like some of them have um facial hair you know there some of them have have um you know all sorts of different body types like even the quote-unquote skinny queens are like totally different body types and i there are short people there are tall people i just really appreciate um the representation and it's just like a really fun book it has really colorful illustrations and uh again because i'm usually working with younger kids like i sort of tend to gravitate towards books that are geared for younger kids but um i i just overall really liked it um and while it's you know not 
again, like being a drag queen doesn't necessarily have anything overtly to do with sexuality. Um, but I think that it's sort of an opener for those kinds of conversations. And again, just having that representation and talking about, um, you know, it can, this book could open up conversations about so many things, talking about drag performance. And, um, you know, obviously this this is specifically talking about drag queens, but of course people of any gender can perform drag and um, just having the, you know, that those kinds of conversations and representation I think is awesome. And this was actually um, Little Miss Hot Mess who wrote the book is one of the first, uh, the, one of the original queens who was doing the drag queen story hour. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where this developed from. And it, for those who may not be familiar, Drag Queen Story Hour, I, I believe, I don't know what, do you know what city it started? I know it started in California somewhere. Um, mm. As many good things do. Uh, but basically, uh, it's a, it's um, drag queens who go to different places, libraries, schools, and they read usually uh, LGBTQIA kids books to kids and they just do story times. Um, but specifically they'll, you know, in drag and uh, just to, again, have that representation for kids. And um, yeah, it's really, it's a really cool program. I know when I was living in New York, they did it in Brooklyn as well. Um, and I'm sure in New York city um, and other, it's in some other major cities as well. Did you, did you find out where it started Rebecca? I did. Oh, I should have done the little hand. Um, yeah, well, it just, um, according to Wikipedia, uh, drag queen, drag queen story hour, uh, was a children's event first started in 2015. Does that sound right? That seems a little later than I would have thought by author and activist, Michelle T in San Mm. Francisco. So San Francisco tracks. Makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I'm surprised. I I wonder if anything like this was happening earlier than, um, 2015. Maybe that's when it got like formally organized, but I would think like maybe it started out as just a singular event or something. And then eventually, but now it's, you know, an organized, I know it was when, like I said, when I was living in Brooklyn, they would have them like one Saturday every month at the library where I was. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's really, it's really awesome. And I just, I don't know. I just thought it was such a cute book and I'm always looking for, um, I know, I think, Dana, I think you did a, a a list on music recently, if I'm not mistaken, but I um I like, you know, queer inclusive kids songs as well. Uh did you have something to add? Yes, uh, I did want to mention that Michelle T has a new book for kids as well about oh. uh, drag queens called Tabitha and Magoo Dress Up To. Mm. Oh. And there's yet another one that came out this year called Auntie Uncle Drag Queen Hero by Ellie Royce. So if you want even more on drag queens and picture books. I know. I'm looking these up right now. My gosh. That's that's, so cool. That's awesome. You know, now because they look great. (laughs) Bear with us. We're going to have a long pause in the podcast while we each do some independent Googling. (laughs) Um, But anyway, those are are my three picks. and uh, yeah, I guess I'll hand it over to Rebecca. I'd love to hear about your books. Okay. All right. Um, so I, I found four works that I thought were worth mentioning today. Um, I will say that we talk a lot about kind of the spectrum um, of kind of problem and issue books on one end, right? Where there are, you know, disapproving parents or bullies, Um, And then kind of the spectrum all the way over to just wonderful incidental representation where stories are just part of our, our world and part of the, the diversity of a library. And I think that the, the books that I found um, that I want to mention 
kind of fall closer to the problem or issue book end of the spectrum, just that they seem to really be explicitly pushing back against traditional cis hetero gender normative tropes. Um, so there's less incidental representation of kind of um, LGBTQ and sexuality. It's kind of more um, in your face representation, which there's mm-hmm. definitely a place for um, in, in libraries. So the first book that I wanted to mention is called Queer Heroes, and it was published in 2019 um, by, sorry, I'm trying to organize my notes here, um, by Wide-Eyed Editions, which is an imprint of Quarto Publishing. Mm. And it was written by Arabelle Sicardi and illustrated by Sarah Tanat-Jones. And Arabelle Sicardi um, was born in Taiwan, um, but she uh, sorry, they identify as being from New Jersey, and they write about beauty and fashion and feminism and identity in a bunch of different places. That's kind of one of the one of the abouts that I found for them. Mm. Um, and they identify as gender queer and also as out. Um, and so, Arabelle Sicardi really kind of made a name for themselves as a fashion and beauty blogger. And, and, and writer and kind of journalist person online. And so then they came out with this book, um, the subtitle of which is Meet 53 LGBTQ Heroes from Past and Present. Um, and Sarah Tennant jones is an illustrator who grew up, grew up in Brighton and studied at Edinburgh College of Art and um, is London-based. Um, and so the this book is essentially a, a book of... Um, kind of snapshot biographies of a number of different um, folks from past and present, going all the way back to Sappho from 630 to 570 BC, up through folks who are still um, doing really important um, activist work today, um, and then all in between. And so um, what I really like about this, this book, so I would say that my way to goes are um, the art. I think that Sarah Tanat Jones is a really um, exceptional illustrator. Um, and uh, let's see, they what what Sarah says about her work is that I like to pair energy with elegance in my illustrations by using bold color and a flowing hand drawn ink line. Um, and they're just really vivid, um, they eye catching, and um, really capture kind of the the essence of, um, you know, capturing, um, doing portraits, right, is kind of a kind of an exceptional skill. So um, Sarah Tanat Jones um, is a great portrait artist with a very distinctive style, I would say, that really comes through in this book. Another way to go about this title is the kind of wide range of folks that are included. Mm. Um, and it's but, well... Let me, let me move into the, the rooms to grow. I think part of the problem is that um, this book has, a, is, uh, has been identified as being like problematic in several ways, but I do want mm-hmm. to call attention to kind of what's been done well. So bear with me as I, as I try to do that in a somewhat articulate way. Okay, <laughs> so um, another way to go about this book uh, is the kind of 
I would say that not the depth and breadth of the specific biographies, which are kind of a little bit cursory and kind of give a broad, broad strokes overview of these folks, but the depth and breadth of, of kind of, um, in some ways, who's included. So we have everyone from Emma Gonzalez, right, who is known from, um, from the work uh, around the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School um, shooting and the protests and everything that's grown out of that movement. But the, the author of The Moomin Trolls, um, Tove Johnson, um, who was born in 1914 and passed away in 2001 in Finland. Um, so there's a kind of an interesting assortment of folks being featured in this book. Um, and so I think that readers will be introduced to people that they may not have ever understood might be um, LGBTQ or might be have identified as bisexual or might be trans or might be um, gay uh, and also will just learn about figures from history that they may not have known anything about at all, which I think is, is neat. Um, however, now I want to talk about some of the more problematic elements of the book. And I think that the, the, the main criticism that this title has received, and it's a criticism that I share, is that it's called Queer Heroes, um, Meet 53 LGBTQ Heroes from Past and Present. But um, the, the representation within those letters is kind of uneven. Mm. Um, there are uh, many, many gay and lesbian folks featured um, and actually many kind of speculated about, like there's actually more space given to speculating about the sexuality of um, Da Vinci and, um, sorry, let me pull up my notes where I have this listed out. I saw Frida on the cover and that surprised me. I didn't know anything about Frida being in the LGBTQIA spectrum. Right, right. So right. So there's um there's a a full page, you know, a full spread given to Da Vinci and Michelangelo and Tchaikovsky and Marlene Dietrich and Josephine Baker. And all of those are sort of speculative where it's talking about like some people think that this might have been the case about their sexuality. Um, but there's very um, comparatively, there's very little trans representation. Mm. Um, so like uh, uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera are, are share a page because they're good friends, you know, and yes. so they're like not even given their own kind of <laughs> spread. Um, and then there was some language that I I was a little questioned a little bit about. Um, uh, Jazz Jennings is featured and it, it says like living... Jazz is living her life as a girl, which I thought mm. didn't feel quite like the languaging um, that it didn't feel like um, the most affirming, like gen gender affirming language, the way yeah. that it was written. Um, and then there were just, I, I wondered, where's Fatso Bentley? You know, you're giving this page to Marlene Dietrich and you're speculating, but, there, you know, there, there are folks out there that could have been included that were very out yeah. and proud um, as trans or, as, you know, uh, or as bisexual or as non-binary um, that, that don't really make the cut. Um, additionally, the um, 
like I said, the, the biographies themselves are a little bit cursory. Some of the, some of it felt a little bit um, underwritten. Like maybe mm-hmm. it was pulled, like pulled from just some cursory research. <laughs> she says as she pulls from her own cursory research. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did do deep research. <laughs> um, and uh, there is a very heartfelt intro, which I, I actually wanted to read a little bit from the intro. Um, but before, uh, before you do, I just see Dana, do you have something to add? Um, I just, I have a couple of related books I wanted to talk about. So why don't you finish what you're saying and then I'll jump oh, perfect. in at the end. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, so something that I wanted to, that I appreciated about the intention behind this book and the goal of the book um, was that uh, Arabelle Sicardi says, um, it wasn't until I became a teenager that I realized there are countless real life heroes that I can learn from and love. For a long time, queer people, especially queer and trans people of color, were considered to be too marginal and too different to be included in history books. This is changing slowly, but it's still hard to find our stories and queer people are still victimized all over the world. Um, As a community, we've worked really hard to turn things people hate about us into things we love about ourselves, even the word queer. For a long time, it was a word used to try to make people feel ashamed of their identity. To be queer meant to be different in a way that seemed dangerous and bad. That isn't the case now. I'm proud to be different, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So I appreciated that sentiment. Um, But I don't know that the resultant book really achieves the goal that's set out in that introduction. Um, And there is uh, a glossary at the end and an index, and there's a a list of useful sources, Um, but there isn't any list of references. There's no kind of acknowledgement of where this information um, was gathered Mm. and where folks can learn more or, you know, there's just sort of no work cited. Um, and there's also no evident rhythm to the order of the entries. Like it isn't, it isn't chronological, Mm. but it doesn't also seem to be anything else necessarily. Um, or at least nothing (laughs) that I could find kind of, uh, no, no claims were made about why folks were presented in the order in which they were presented. Um, so I feel like this book would have benefited from maybe another round of editing, um, and maybe some pushback about how to um, deepen the representation that, that was, that was included. Yeah, no, just say, I think that that's, I think that that's everything that I, that I wanted to say about Queer Heroes. I think it's something that would be an addition to a bookshelf, but definitely should not be the sole, not that any of these should be the sole standalone title, but you'll want to make sure that you're filling in the gaps that this book still leaves. Sure. I, I think there are actually two books that do a better job of this kind of um, compiled biography of queer people. Uh, they're both by Sarah Prager. One is called Queer There and Everywhere, 23 People Who Changed the World, and that's aimed at teens. And then just this spring, another one came out by her called Rainbow Revolutionaries, 50 LGBTQ People Who Made History, and that one's aimed more at middle school children. Mm. Um, I think she does a better job. It, it feels like there is more research behind these biographies, even though they are still one pagers and they're fun and they're geared towards kids. Just felt to me like there's a little more there there. Mm-hmm. And there's also at the end, there's a timeline and a glossary and a bibliography. Oh, I love that. Um, it just, I, I like both of these 
I think, a lot better. So I would recommend those for both teens, or, you know, young adults and, uh, and middle middle grade students. Awesome. Yeah, so I see Rainbow Revolutionaries just came out in May. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. That's awesome. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and do you think, um, I haven't had a chance to look into Rainbow Revolutionaries, but do you think that it's something that would be appropriate um, for, on a picture book shelf? Would, is there a, or is There's nothing like inappropriate about it. I think mm-hmm. it's just a matter of whether that age child would be interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's kind of aimed at 8 to 12-year-olds, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. so certainly the older end of elementary Right. What are the what are the books? I'm trying to think. I um, of course now the name. The one that's like the one that's geared toward towards girls, and it's like biographies about women. It's like super. Oh man, now I can't. Yes, it's it's by um. Because I'm trying to think. Oh gosh, no, not little, not little dreamers. Noisemakers. There's one called Noisemakers. Which is an oh my gosh, I can't think of it now, but um, I'll I'll put it in the show notes because the, the kids that I nanny have it, so I will look on their bookshelf and remember mm-hmm. the name. Um, but it's but but that book like is also geared for older kids. But I would just like even so, I would just like I have the kids that I nanny are two I have twins, and um, I still will just you know like for a while at, before nap time we would just read one. We would just read one page every day and like, mm-hmm. do I think that they're going to be able to, you know, tell me the history and no, like they, they can't even say words, but I think that it's good to still be reading, you know, those kinds of things. And for kids who will sit for that kind of, cause some kids love books and some kids are just like, forget about it. You can't, they're running away. Um, but you know, I think depending on the kid, you know, not to sit down and read the whole book in one sitting, but noisemakers by no, no, Kazoo Media. Kazoo Media. Um, well, it's by Kazoo Media, which was actually a magazine called Kazoo, founded by a lesbian mom named Erin oh. Reed. And it, it's like the first kids magazine to win the, um, you know, the National Magazine Award. Um, it's a terrific magazine aimed at girls, but like girls who want to be strong, smart, fierce, and true to themselves. And this Noisemakers book takes biographies that were mostly originally published in the magazine and compiles them. Um, and they really made an effort to bring in um, sort of top graphic design talent, but also um, non-binary creators. And wow, that's awesome. it's, it's a really nice collection as well. Um, just scrolling through the look inside on in this rainbow revolutionaries reminds me of something else that I wanted to point out about, about queer heroes. Um, it's, it's, it's unclear who the audience is for this book because Mm. the way, the way that it's written, um, takes all, and actually I have that, that criticism about another book that I'll talk about in a minute, but the way that it's written kind of takes things for granted that a child would not be familiar with. Uh, mm-hmm. while also being a picture book, right? So for example, I'm looking at Ra- Rainbow Revolutionaries and what's being written about Alan Hart. Um, now, a hundred years ago, people didn't have the medical advances we have today, not just for gender transition, but also in terms of helping p- people who got sick. The number one cause of death in the U.S. was a disease called tuberculosis, TB. Since there was no cure, the most important thing for someone with TB was to discover it early to get treatment, but there was a big problem, right? So everything is explained in kind of accessible language and, and given, mm-hmm. giving enough that the, a reader who does not understand 
understands the weight of the of what's being described, right? So now let's let's contrast that with what's being written about Tim Cook in this picture book for children. Um, Tim began his education in Robertsdale before enrolling in Auburn University. From there, he went on to earn a master's degree, blah, blah, blah. Um, not after he finished his degree, he was hired by IBM. He worked hard and rose up through the company, finally becoming North America's fulfillment director. Right. So there's information there. that I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and, then, and then in 1994, he moved to Intelligent Electronics and then on to Compaq Computer Corporation, where he became vice president. However, his most significant career move came in 1998 when he moved to Apple, when Tim joined Apple. Right. So no, no description of what any of, of that of, of any of those proper nouns refer to. Right. So um, something another kind of room to grow for this yeah. um, queer heroes is is picking an audience and kind of speaking to that audience in a, in a more accessible way. <laughs> okay. Um, so the second, uh, the second title that I want to talk about is actually a coloring book. And actually there's two coloring books that have been put out by this, this author that I think are worth mentioning. Um, and the author is Jacinta Bunnell and um Jacinta Bunnell has put out a number of, she has a series of coloring books um, called the Queer Book Committee series of coloring books. And two of them that are particularly um, kind of represent, uh, uh, you know, like you said, Seth, uh, um, take, taking things and queering them, but queering them specifically about... Um, uh, sexuality and sexual orientation are sometimes the spoon runs away with another spoon, which was published in 2010. And then also the big gay alphabet coloring book. Which I was have that one. In 2015. Cool. Yeah. It's really so, the, so the, um, sometimes the spoon runs away with another spoon is um, written by Jacinta Bunnell and who is, lives in the Hudson Valley and is a collage artist and zine creator and a color book creator and now a children's book creator as well. And illustrated by Nat um, Kusinitz. Um, and according to Nat Kusinitz's uh, bio, Nat Kusinitz is a, just a guy that likes to draw. He makes theater too. Um, and Sometimes a Spoon Runs Away with Another Spoon was published by PM Press. And then um, the Big Gay Alphabet Coloring Book was illustrated by Leela Corman, um, the co-founder of the Sequential Artists Workshop, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the prosperity and promotion of comic art and artists who is based out of Gainesville, Florida. Um, and so what I really like about these titles, so these are also, they're kind of, um, particularly sometimes a spoon runs away with another spoon. It is, uh, working to push back against, um, kind of gender normative and, uh, sexual orientation normative, right? So like heteronormative, um, representation that's found in nursery rhymes and kind of mm -hmm. like the nursery rhyme fairy tale tropes. And so um, let me pull up some of the, so there, it's just, you know, it's a coloring book. So there is a, a piece of art and then there's a caption for the art and um, that they include such like such captions as um, Prince Charming searched high and low for the owner of the glass slipper to find out where to get a pair in his size. 
Um, and uh, for every girl who throws out her easy bake oven, there is a boy who wishes to find one is another one. But then, and so some of those are about kind of like uh, gender identity. Um, Omar, uh, let's see. There's great incidental representation. This this child uses a wheelchair, and it says Omar stops to spell, smell the lilacs on the way to color guard practice. Um, marriage is so gay. There is a big wedding cake with two brides, or and um, a this there is a princess who is uh, reaching down to smooch this big frog sitting on a lily pad, and the princess is thinking to herself desperately. I hope it's another princess. I hope it's another princess. Um, and so the, and then sometimes the spoon runs away with another spoon. Um, so this, Oh, every, so I love this one. Um, every so often the prince rides off into the sunset with the boy next door. Um, so there's one, one print you're seeing the, the rear end of two horses that are, or no, a horse and a mule it looks kind of like a, my little pony almost and a mule. And then the prince with his crown and this freckle faced boy with a sweater and blue jeans and they're holding hands and kind of looking at each other with the sunset in the distance. And that would be a very fun one to color in my opinion. Um, so this is it. Uh, I, for my way, my way to goes for this title are, I think the art is a lot of fun. Um, I think that the, the messages are all really spot on and do a nice job of, of upturning all sorts of different, um, tropes and stereotypes. Um, I think that my, my, my only room to grow for this title, um, is that while I think it is about more than kind of pushing back against gender normativity, like it's very much about pushing back against like heteronormativity and cis normativity as well. There is a set of questions in the back and those questions all focus only on gender and gender identity. Mm. So um, I think that the only thing that could have just expanded this further was to just include um, questions that also started to tease out some of those other questions. uh, stereotypes and assumptions and and feelings and and all sorts of things, right? Like so, really um, embracing the fact that this is a, about a lot more than gender um, in the pictures. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and then I haven't I haven't been able to get my hands on. I received a review copy of Sometimes a Spoon Runs Away with Another Spoon. I haven't gotten my hands on the big gay coloring book so maybe you could speak to that but I yeah the art is fantastic and what I saw um from just from kind of being able to look inside in various places it looked really cool yeah there were there were just a couple pages like my friends and I were coloring we had like a coloring day a while ago and we were looking through it and there was some that we were like huh like f is for football we were like is that is that gay I guess it's good. I mean, you know, it was, there's was funny, like there were a couple where we were like, I mean, I guess it's a bunch of guys tackling each other. That's kind of gay. Like, but like there were a couple where we were like, ice cream is, is that ours? Like, we claim it. And so it seemed like I, it's like, again, not having seen it, it, it yeah. appeared to me. And from what I read about it and read her words about it was like the, well, something on the, on the kind of press release sheet is, um, one it says we hope you are left asking isn't everything fabulous in this world just a little bit gay 
um, which I, I which like I that. love. Although I don't know, I'm not sure if this is an own voices book. I'm I I couldn't identify how Jacinta Bunnell identifies. I couldn't track that down. Um, so that I wonder, like. If it's not own voices, is it okay to ask that, or is that like kind of appropriating this concept? But I would be, I would be interested to hear um, your, you folks' perspectives on that. I guess that depends on you know how. It's hard to say, not knowing how they identify. But I guess yeah, it feels a little weird if a straight person or a, a person who wasn't in the queer community rather um, was saying that. I don't, I don't know. Right. Because I think um, the ice cream page, like what they've done with those pages that are less, like you're saying, like football and ice cream, like they're kind of playing with the illustrations, right? Like they're playing with the depiction of that, that idea or that thing. Would you say that's, that's true? Yeah. Yes, like, totally. Like, 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 I think I saw the ice cream page. It didn't actually, I didn't see the, the text, but it was like, little sprites kind of riding on ice cream cones in a river yeah. if I recall correctly yes <laughs> so, oh, sorry I just dropped my chapstick um so yeah playing with playing with those ideas yes totally and, and making them quote-unquote fabulous Jacinta Bunnell has also come out just I think in the past month with a new LGBTQ inclusive picture book called A More Graceful Shaboom it's kind of a trippy fantasy story centering a non-binary child who is in search of a purse to carry things and ends up finding this magical purse it's it's kind of this psychedelic uh in the best sense story um i I wasn't really prepared to review it my my sense remembering from when i read it is that some of the vocabulary was geared a little high for what I think the target age range was, Mm. but that it might be like a fun read aloud for a parent to do. The other thing I wanted to mention, um, talking about, this is more, less about sexuality and more about gender roles, but um, this was years ago now. I wonder if it says, if there's a date on this, I mean, years, it was 2017. It wasn't that that long ago, Um, but it feels like it was so long ago, but there was a mother, uh, a cartoonist, uh, Linnea, I think Johansson. Yeah. Linnea Johansson, who drew a bunch of um, coloring pages for her kids. It's called super soft heroes. And it's all like superheroes, but like, like there's Batman and he has like a a baby in a carrier and he's like doing ballet. And there's like, um, there's, Oh, my, my favorite one is sleeping beauty, pushing the prince away. Um, like she's trying to take a nap and he's she's like absolutely not um there's another one that's like like superman and a little like super you know kid in the superman costume and they're like cuddling kittens and there's a spider-man who's in a wheelchair like hugging their you know their kid and um there's like batman and a kid you know baking cookies together so it's like you know breaking those gender sort of stereotypes um with superheroes which i thought was cute and i'll link that in the show notes there's even one that's like um it's snow white and uh superman and they've swapped outfits and then the kid is playing dress up like they're all playing dress up you know Um, that's really cool so so yeah i thought that was like a really fun talking a little bit more about gender presentation and gender roles but i thought that was a really fun one as well i love when like when parents or people just you know see a need for something they're like i want my kids coloring these coloring pages i'm gonna make my own (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she's an illustrator so they're really well done um 
But anyway, I'd love to hear about your your final book. Or not fine. I actually have, I know. I have have two two more, right? I'll go quickly. I'll go quickly. No, that's fine. Um, Well, um, the next book that I wanted to mention, which is Princess, Princess Ever After, which was created by Katie O'Neill. And it began as a webcomic on Tumblr at Strangely Mm. Katie, and then was published by Ami Press Ani Press in 2016, which is a comic book and graphic novel publisher based in Portland, Oregon. And Katie O'Neill is based in New Zealand. Um, And so this, um, I received a review copy of this title. So I haven't actually had the physical copy in my hand, but I have this PDF. And um, I, some way to goes for this um, include the intention to, well, let me see what this, um, someone wrote something great about it. So uh, Carissa Howry of Women Write About Comics says of the title, Princess Princess embodies love, friendship, and queerness in a genuine way that also addresses self-doubt and suffocating gender roles. Um, And I think that this story sets out it is the story of um two princesses one who is blonde haired blue eyed and then much is made of the fact that she is also um fat uh at least that is what is said to the reader and then the other is um black with the quote unquote badass haircut um who dresses in um, less traditionally princess attire. Um, and in, in the beginning of the story, um, uh, there is a cry out from the top of this tower and Princess Amira, who is the black badass princess, rides up on a horse or a unicorn rather to come and rescue the pardon i said of course it's a unicorn but... right uh wait is it a unicorn i should have yes yes uh celeste the unicorn um rides up to the tower and then sadie the princess in the tower is like i you know people have failed to rescue me well first first sadie says this this book has it's humorous right it's there's a lot of humor woven in so um Amira says, but I heard you screaming, like, didn't, don't you need to be rescued? And Sadie says, I wasn't screaming, I was singing. And, then, <laughs> and, and Amira's like, uh, okay. Um, and then, you know, she kind of asks if she wants to be rescued. And Sadie's like, so many princes have tried, what makes you any different? And then Amira's like, because I am no prince. My, my name is Princess Amira, and I have a grappling hook. And then Sadie's like, oh, sweet. Um, so it is, it's kind of a, it's it's a funny, like there's a lot of, of little moments of humor woven in. Um, there's the aforementioned kind of uh, you know, size representation. Um, Amira is is black, um, and there is a lot of pushing back against like princess tropes and mm-hmm. prince tropes, um, and it is sort of implied that these two princesses. Um, it's kind of not ex- explicitly stated, but it's definitely implied that these two princesses um, get together at the end. Like they fall in love and then um, kind of go off and have their own 
respective adventures and then Mm. get back together at the end and I kind of uh, like snuggled toward each other with rose petals falling everywhere Um, it's a little bit interesting to me that it's not made more explicit um, that they're that they're getting together but um, so it's it's funny the art is is fun and it is definitely pushing back against all sorts of fairy tale tropes um however my rooms to grow for this title um i don't a a little bit like queer heroes i'm not sure that it is it is achieving what it is setting out to do as effectively as it could um Mm -hmm. i think that there is this like this um push like this this intention to be very body positive um however um just throughout the story uh for example princess amira speaking about the unicorn says celeste would do anything for a cookie and say these like i can so relate which is kind of like um kind of aligned with this idea that folks that people who have fat are like unable to resist food, you know, like that kind of idea that there's, this, that there's this lack of self-control or this constant hunger. Um, and then throughout the story, um, there is a, there's a sister character who's kind of the uh, villain in the story who has, has consistently mm-hmm. told princess Sadie that she is dumb and fat and stupid Um and she's clearly the villain, but the other characters also use words like stupid to describe things, right? So some of the word, some of the, which is a very ableist mm. word. Um, so some of the stuff, and dumb is also an ableist word, and, and fat is a fat phobic word when it's being used in a fat phobic way. Um, but so the characters, there isn't really this clear delineation between she's using these terms to mean one thing. And but we don't use that those terms. We talk this other way and we re- reframe yeah. these ideas like there's not actually an active or at least a, an effectively active reframing of some of these ideas um, when working within this kind of fairy tale narrative, um, because at the end, uh, uh, Princess Sadie says to her sister, um, you you know you call me a fat silly crybaby and I that may be true but I'll never let you make me feel like it's a bad thing again, which mm. is a great message right like I'm gonna embrace that. the fact that I'm fat I'm I'm embracing the fact that I'm silly I'm embracing the fact that I'm emotive and I cry, but the story has not actually given us a plot to kind of um, allow that statement to pack a punch mm. right like it hasn't um, the story hasn't there's a better way to say that um, that payoff it doesn't feel earned by the actual okay. plot of the story. We don't see her using like in a, in a traditional fairy tale narrative, you would see her kind of going through this self-discovery where she realizes like, like, you know, some, some, something is achieved through her crying, right. Or something mm-hmm. is achieved by her being silly or she's able to use um, her size, like in, in a in a more self empowering way, like none of that actually happens. There's just a lot of kind of telling, not showing in this story, okay. that I feel doesn't actually make it effective. Additionally, there's a lot of do ex machina kind of um, moments where the the plot itself is a little bit thin, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I ultimately am left kind of wondering again, kind of who the story's for, like the, the, the languaging is very young, you know, like fat, silly crybaby, like feels like yeah. things you would, you would use if you're thinking that, that kind of preschoolers are talking to each yeah, other. Yeah, it's like, that makes me feel like I'm on the school bus. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, but it also is, it's pushing back against like, you know, kind of more sophisticated tropes and not that you, we don't want sophisticated tropes pushed back in, pushed back for preschoolers, but it just, it feels like maybe this, maybe Katie O'Neill is still finding her voice as an author mm-hmm. and finding her voice about how to speak to the audience that, um, she's intending to reach with with these stories, um, at least in this particular title. Um, there is a there is a another character who's called Butthead throughout, mm. who like is one of the characters. It's like princesses can't do anything. Princesses can't be heroes. He's kind of like that voice. Yeah. Um, but then at the end, he becomes an advisor to Sadie as she becomes the queen. Like for no reason, he's a prince from another kingdom, but now he's kind of in charge <laughs> of her. Like, but there's absolutely, he just pops up out of nowhere, out of the blue near the end. Like, oh yeah, I forgot about you. And now you're, you're in charge of her. Like, so there's, I think that this could have done with another round of editing, um, just to strengthen it and kind of help help the story to really become the best version of itself. And I don't yeah. think it, it achieved that in its current iteration. Yeah. I think that, you know, you need to be really mindful and intentional when you're using uh, words. I mean, obviously the, you know, it sounds like the words that they chose to use were, you know, a little bit ableist or, you know, but when you're choosing to use insults and things like that, you have to be very mindful because, you know, we talked about this, um, in another in death is stupid because they they use the word stupid and uh i was just thinking you know i think a lot about right especially you know as whether you're a parent or a child care provider or an educator or whatever you know i wouldn't necessarily want to give my kid a book with those words in it and then be responsible when they start calling somebody a butthead (laughs) you know or stupid or whatever the word is and so and not to say that you can't use those words because this is geared for slightly older kids right um but i think you need to be really intentional and there needs to be some kind of breaking down of why that's not okay or what you know what i mean like we need to well exactly you want if, if, if a character is going to use it have that character be the villain have it be clear why they're Mm. wrong and then have the other characters use like just be more uh inclusive and, and use language in a more intentional way yeah um and i don't know i don't know that this is meant for children older than preschool i, I think the audience is, is a little bit uneven the audience is unclear um mm. so right so if you want to tell this kind of badass ya you know queering of fairy tales like I mean, at least have them actually make out at the end or, you know, like, like this, I mean, this could be it, it, considering that this was published in 2016 and like, it's kind of intentionally supposed to be this queering of the fairy tales. Um, it seems a little bit like tame to have them kind of just hug with, with rose petals at the end, like not even hearts at the end, you know, like it feels like something like, Oh, look, we're finally going to get some queer representation in the newest Disney movie. And then it's, you know, like it's, it's kind of like that level of representation where it could have been um, very like more explicit in my mind. Yeah. That makes sense. Even if it was for preschoolers, you know, like, yeah. 
Uh, I did read it when it first came out and enjoyed it, uh, but I haven't reread it recently enough to offer anything more than than what you said. Um, I do wonder about picture books aimed at um, you know the, the the real elementary school age that deal with these topics. I, I just wonder sometimes how many kids really are into the whole romance story to begin with, or if that's sort of our adult projection about what they should mm. be interested in. Uh, you know, my son and his peers, you know, thought anybody kissing anyone was icky until they hit high school. So, <laughs> so I do wonder about that kind of in general, but that that's less about this specific book. Right, right. Oh, yeah. My my son, we were rewatching um, The Dragon Prince and, and She-Ra. We've been watching doing some Netflix shows together. And yeah, he's definitely, he's six years old. So now he's at the age where he's like, oh my God, I think they're about to kiss. And he's definitely not into it. Um, but I, I, I just feel like if you are intentionally doing this kind of subverting of the fairy tale trope, like which typically does end with a kiss, then, you know, if you're doing this queering of that trope, then have that also end with a kiss. I don't know. Yes, me. yes, absolutely. It should be parallel one way or the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. felt like they were like shying away from committing. Yeah. Right, right. Totally. Um, yeah. And so the final, um, the final title that I wanted to mention, um, and thank you for bearing with me through all of these books, is Worm Loves Worm. Um, And Worm Loves Worm is, yeah, written by J.J. Austrian, who grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, and um, is located now on the East Coast. Um, Or no, located now maybe in Minnesota. And this is his first picture book. And it's illustrated by Mike... Wait, I'm going to scroll too far. Sorry, Mike Corrado. Um, and Mike Corrado, uh, I believe, is Filipino-American and created a character called Little Elliot, who is a polka dot elephant, who is a very popular character. Um, also has done illustrations for Margarita Engel, who's one of my favorite authors, um, her picture book, All the Way to Havana. Um, and so Mike Corrado is kind of a really kind of up-and-coming popular illustrator. And Worm Loves Worm is the story of two worms who decide to get married. And just like um, just like Princess Princess Ever After pushes back against like traditional fairy tale tropes and norms and stereotypes and isms, and sometimes a spoon runs away with another spoon, pushes back against nursery rhyme kind of tropes and isms, um, Worm Loves Worm is pushing back against wedding tropes and isms. Um, and it is the story of two little worms who want to get married and all of the other insects and critters that live in their community start telling them kind of what a wedding needs to have. And they are volunteering to be the, the bee, the bride's bees, you know, the bridesmaids, and they're volunteering to be the, the beetle groomsmen and to officiate and to do all of those things. And then um, they get to the question of who's going to be the bride and the worm and the worms who've just kind of gone along with everything that's been suggested. They're very easygoing worms. Um, they, they are like, I'll be the bride. I'll be the bride too. Like, yeah, yeah, done. We'll be the brides. And then all of the little 
bugs are like, no, 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 you can't both be the brides. Like one of you has to be the groom so that now there's this groom's beetle and then the bride's bees and we have to, you know, be on separate sides of the aisle. And then they're like, okay, well, I'll be the groom and I'll be the groom too. Like we'll both be the grooms. And they're, so essentially the, the overall messaging is like, just because something has always been done this way, doesn't mean it has to be done this way. Right. Like things can be, things can be different. Um, and so, and it's, it's very sweet. Uh, and, um, I saw, I have not been able to get my hands on this because of library closure still, et cetera, but I did see there is a drag queen, a, a YouTube drag queen story hour of this title. It's really well done. So I encourage people to check it out. Um, and my, my way to goes for this title are, the the art is really sweet and it's very like kind of rhythmic and just done um the story's done in a very effective little way and I don't know if I have any rooms to grow it is I think for what it is if we're talking about books that are kind of allegories for representation and allegories for pushing back um, against against um, tradition and against uh, heteronormative and gender normative tropes, then I think this does a sweet little job. Yeah, I really like it. I, one of the kids that I used to nanny had it, and that was the first time I read it. And I was just like, oh, this is such a cute book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think uh, I think every library should include not only allegories like this or like... Um, uh, not quite narwhal, right? Like there's room for these sort of allegory stories that that give these messaging through crayons and animals and insects and whatever worms are. Um, but I think that libraries also do need to include actual actual representation of of human, you know, human representation of LGBTQ people and and all sorts of different representation. So. This is one yeah, one way to start, but it's not enough to end. And those are my books. Yay. Thank you for sharing. I'm excited to hear about your books, Dana. Oh, thank you. So I think both of you spoke about the dichotomy between sort of the LGBTQ inclusive issue books that mm-hmm. speak about um, you know, being LGBTQ per se, and then those that simply have LGBTQ characters. So I tried to choose two books that fall into each area. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. let, me, let me start with the ones that are a little more issue driven. Uh, so the first one is My Footprints by Bao Fi and illustrated by Bazia Tran. Now Bao Fi is actually an award-winning poet as well as a children's book author. Uh, his first book uh, won a Caldecott honor, uh, although with a different illustrator. And he won the Ezra Jack Keats honor, which is from uh, the American Library Association also, and that's for Best New Writer. Um, so the, the writing on this is just, uh, it's just wonderful. So th- I chose the book, which is about a girl who is teased by her classmates for, uh, for having two moms and about her racial and ethnic origins. Um, and about her sort of finding strength in herself and in her family. I chose it because it's really striking in having a family of color uh, as mm. the protagonists. There are a lot of LGBTQ inclusive books that have one parent who's a person of color. 
in fact, I think most of the ones that I've seen come out in the past few years have one white parent and one parent of color. Um, they're, they're trying to split the difference. And certainly there are multiracial families who look like that, and that's wonderful, and they should be seen. But there are so few where the entire family is a family of color. I mean, we just need more. Um, the, and only, the only other one I can think of is, oh gosh, the one by Kyle Lukoff about Aiden. I can't think of the full title. Yes. Oh, Aiden, Aiden, Aiden became a brother. brother. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. is delightful. That's wonderful. There's a yeah. couple of smaller presses that have done some, um, but this is one of the few and it's an Asian family. And That's so awesome. that makes it, I think, even rarer. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the little girl is Vietnamese American. Um, one other mother is, uh, is also Vietnamese American. And the other one is, um, Hindu that they don't actually specify the country she's from, but it looks like someplace in Southeast Asia. Um, and so it starts with, with the girl being teased and sort of being grumpy around her parents and going outside to stomp around in the snow and it turns out that her kids, uh, that, that her friends at school made fun of her for having two moms and told her where to, to told her to go back where she came from. Um, and so her parents very kindly just want to play with her and kind of through play acting, help her find strength. Um, they pretend to be these strong, fierce creatures and each of her parents chooses a creature from her own heritage. Um, mm. For example, one chooses a phoenix, and we learn in the afterword to the book that uh, the phoenix is in both uh, Greek mythology and in um, East Asian mythology, and that reflects uh, the one mother's dual Eastern and Western origins. Uh, and the other mother suggests pretending to be a creature from her Hindu heritage. And then the little girl makes up her own creature uh, one that is, quote, both a boy and a girl. And her skin changes, quote, from black to light brown to lighter and back to black, not to hide, but because it always wants to be different shades of pretty. <laughs> and I just love that line. And it's 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 so empowering and so um, beautiful. And just through this play acting, you see the, the girl find her own strength and... It never quite comes back to talking about her classmates, but it, it's just very clear that there's been personal growth and strength. Um, and the illustrations are beautiful as well, which is just another uh, another perk of the book. <laughs> so that's My Footprints by Bao Fi and illustrated by Bazia Tran. So the second book... Oh, can I can I jump in really fast there? Sure. Um, I just want to say I I so appreciate you. I thank you so much for calling attention to this book because um, I, in all of my research, have never encountered this, and it it neither is, have I. I've never heard of it. Yeah, and Baofi, we actually um, include uh, a different pond, which is that Caldecott honor winning book in our um in our shift book box for um socioeconomic diversity and i absolutely love um his work and i have i have never heard of this book and i'm so excited to to get it to get my hands on it and add it to my collection and add it to shift's collection and 
So thank you. Thank you deeply for calling our attention to this book. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, like I said earlier, it's always exciting, like, because I'm so deep in this, I for, I'm like, it's always amazing when there's a book I haven't heard of, which is why it's, it's you know, and also it's just great, like I said earlier, like, that there are so many books that there can be ones that I haven't heard of. It's not like, I remember when, I mean, even, I don't know, it was maybe like four or five years ago, I started making a list um, just for myself of all uh, the LGBTQIA plus kids lit that I could get my hands on. And I was making this sort of organized list as a resource for myself. And it was so clear, like, there were certain categories where there would just be one book, you know, like a book with a non-binary kid. It was like meet polka dot and that was it. Um, right. You know, and, and now it's just, it's amazing how many more books, you know, there are so many books. So thank you again for bringing uh, our attention to this one. You're very welcome. Uh, I'll also say, and you can keep this or not. I think there's sometimes a disconnect between the publishers and the communities they're trying to target. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Uh, for, first of all, the, the library cataloging information doesn't always indicate, especially in the books that aren't issue driven. If there are mm. LGBTQ characters, the cataloging information might not include that, and that makes it very mm-hmm. hard for librarians, much less you know, people like us, to, to find. And I think sometimes the publishers don't always know who to reach out to. You know, yeah. I've mentioned to some that you know there's Family Equality, which is this national organization focused on LGBTQ families, and you know they should be sending press releases about these books to them. Uh, and many times, the people at the publishers, the publicists, have just never heard of this. So, so my next book is called "Who's Your Real Mom" by Bernadette Green and Anna Zobel. They're two Australian uh, creators. And the title is very much on point, uh, perhaps too much so. Um, but I love the book because it takes the almost overdone issue of a child dealing with misunderstanding about their LGBTQ family and just takes a really refreshing, empowering, and funny uh, approach to it. So... It starts with a girl and her friend, Nicholas, and the friend asks, Elvie, which one is your mom? So instead of you know, crying or getting upset or wondering why she's the only one in her family who doesn't, or in her class who doesn't have a dad, this is an empowered little girl, and we sense throughout the book that she's dealt with this a whole lot before, and she knows what's what. So she replies, they're both my mom. And yet the friend insists, well, only the one who had you in in her tummy can be your mom. So the girl answers, fine, she's wearing jeans. And the friend responds, well, they're both wearing jeans. (laughs) So the girl continues, well, my real mom is the one who's a pirate in disguise. Oh, and my real mom is the one who can speak with gorillas. Oh, she's the one who crochets hammocks for polar bears. And it, it goes on with these increasingly silly... Um, you know, pretend ways of identifying which one is her real mom. And the friend gets increasingly exasperated, and finally the girl says, oh, fine, my real mom is the one who holds me when I'm scared and kisses me goodnight. Well, they both do that, says the friend. Exactly, says the little girl. <laughs> it's just I such a zinger and, and so fun and so empowering. Um, you know, I think so many books that have shown similar stories about a you know, a child encountering someone who questions or much less you know, bullies them about 
their family. The child has to sort of find strength in others. And that's okay, you know, that there's a place for that. But I also love seeing this approach where, you know, this child just, you know, has it in hand and <laughs> and has her own response. And, and it's fun and it's, it's, it's really delightful. I also love the idea that she can be kind of like over it. Like she's over being asked this question. Like it just makes me think of a time where I was walking with a kid that I nannied and someone and the kid, you know, was not dressed in pink or blue. They were just wearing clothes that didn't say I'm a girl or I'm a boy. And Mm -hmm. someone walked up to us. This older woman was walking up to us and she said, oh, what a cute little princess. And then she got closer and said, or is it a prince? And I was like, this baby is a commoner. It has no royal blood. Like, I just <laughs> had no patience to deal with that question that day. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I appreciate, like, the kid being able to not having to take their emotional energy to, like, explain this to someone and just be like, that's the one who makes hammocks for polar bears. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, a, good, a good punchline picture book is always so effective when it's done well. Like. Yeah exactly that's great yeah yeah and I'll, i should also mention one, one of the moms is uh, clearly black um the girl is lighter than that mother but i think darker than her friend and one of the other moms is is a little bit lighter skinned too it's it's somewhat hard to tell uh if the lighter characters are meant to be white or um or what, uh, but but there's definitely differences of skin tone from dark to light in the book. Yeah, it's always nice. So, yeah, so I really like that. And you know, I'll also point out, uh, even Heather Has Two Mommies, which was mm-hmm. you know, one of the first mm-hmm. here inclusive kids books. In the first edition, Heather cries when she thinks about whether she's the only one in her class with with two moms but then in the the more recent 2016 edition she simply wonders so mm. I, I think there That's is nice. there is this movement towards making these encounters less traumatic um yeah having said that there's still one book there's a book called papa daddy and riley that just came out that has a very similar situation although it's a girl with two dads um and you know, again her friends in school are asking her you know which one is your real dad, but she gets upset and cries. And it, it just, it feels like a more difficult read. Uh, I mean, I think for kids who have been in that exact situation, it could be helpful, but I wouldn't recommend it as something like for a teacher to pull off a shelf and read to a yeah. class. Because there's, it's, yeah. It's another, just, one that handles, another one that handles that well is Celebrings the Family. Um, yes. Which is about a little girl with two dads and it's uh, it's Mother's Day and she's trying to figure out who to bring. But, you know, it's it's again, it's sort of similar to who's your real mom where, you know, they'll be like, well, which one packs your lunch or which one does this? And she's like, well, my papa does that. But that's not important right now. What's important is I have no one to bring for Mother's Day, you know. <laughs> so um, I, I really I think that's another one that handles that well. Yeah. Right. It takes a problem that's being put upon them, right? Like they, they don't feel that it's a problem. Society is saying it's a problem or whoever's representing society and they have, they have the solution. They have, they're over it. Right. Whereas some of these more dated interpretations have the character kind of like taking on that problem, right? Like weeping when they wonder if they're the only ones with, with two mothers in the class. So I, I like moving to a place where, where there's a more 
more recognition that this is not their problem. This is your problem. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Well, let's move, let's move even farther in that direction and go to the next book, which is Plenty of Hugs by Fran Manushkin and illustrated by Kate uh, Alazade. I love this book because it's just a story about a family that happens to have two moms. It's, it's not dealing with it as an issue. It's, it's simply this family having adventures on their day. They go on a bicycle ride to a farm and a zoo and come home for dinner and story time and bed. Now, there have also been a number of LGBTQ inclusive books that try to take this approach and show kind of an everyday story. But mm-hmm. I think the ones that are done less well end up being deadly dull. You know, here's us in our normal life yeah. doing normal things. Um, but this one, this one has a, a poetic um, energy to it as they go through their day. And it's written in kind of a bouncy rhyme. And it really pulls the reader along as they, they move through their day. And we see them, you know, bicycling across their page and there's an energy to it. Um, so even though it's their everyday life, it's also um, more lyrical and moving. You know, they watch stars and fireflies as they're getting ready for the night. And, um, you know, it just, it works better, I think, as a narrative. And even better, one of the parents is very much uh, of a uh, more masculine gender expression. There aren't any yeah, pronouns I was just used. Looking, I'm looking yeah. at the cover right now. I'm like, both these moms are super cute. I love this one's haircut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's some hip so, moms. <laughs> uh, so there's a more masculine looking one with kind of an undercut haircut and a tattoo and, you know, we see them throughout the book wearing jeans and just looking a little more rugged, but, but also very loving. And that's so rare and so nice to see. And I think because it's left open about their specific pronouns and gender identity, you can sort of read into it what you wish. And right. it's just yeah, this is delightful. It's delightful. It's a great bedtime story because it ends at bedtime, so it, it fits the kind mm-hmm. of story you want as you know, you're trying to calm your child down for bed, which you know, doesn't always work well. Depending <laughs> uh, <laughs> on your child, right? So, yeah. So, I, so I love this. Uh, the the more masculine mom is a very pale white. Uh, the other mom has skin that's somewhat darker, um, but not terribly dark. Um, but it, but it really, it, it's a, it's a nice read because of the the gender diversity in it and just the the joy of the family as they're going about their day and, um, and just all the little, um, little details in the illustrations as they, you know, as they visit the zoo and they wave to the panda bear and and then like in the next scene they're having dinner and the child has like a little stuffed panda bear with them it's it's very cute my my friend has a saying for books like this they call it queers casually being queers like where people can just exist (laughs) you know and be like living their life and and also be queer um and i just i really appreciate like we were saying there's definitely a place for both kinds of books where it's more um overt and where it's more um 
you know, subtle, but I, I really appreciate books where it's just like people living their lives and they happen to be queer, or like they happen to have two, you know, two moms yeah. or, or two queer parents or whatever. And like uh, Jesse Seema's uh, Harriet Gets Carried Away. Yes. I don't know about that one. It's, uh, so Jesse Seema did uh, Not Quite Narwhal, which is one mm-hmm. of those kind of allegorical ones about, about, that's been read a lot as an allegory for LGBTQ representation mm-hmm. and um, like maybe like either gender, like trans representation, but uh, uh, Harriet gets carried away is her follow up, and it just it's about a child who gets carried away by a group of penguins, but mm-hmm. incidentally, her she has two fathers. Oh, you know, oh, her, I see her, that. I'm looking at the illustrations now. Yeah, so that's kind of just one of those other just uh, what, what what what? How did your friend call it? I you know. Queer queer casually casually being, being queer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, this yeah. looks like a very cute book. Casually being yeah. queer, but not being boring. I think that's the that's the trick. Yeah, there right. were definitely. I don't. I'm. I'm not gonna like name any books to shame any books, but yeah. there are definitely books where I was just like, okay, I don't care that you like ate your breakfast and like well, went outside. <laughs> and that's. I think that's the the fine line that needs to be walked mm-hmm. on, like where you know, for several of my titles, I said, I think this needed further editing. It's like, you can't just see a gap in the literature and fill it. Like there, there is a, there is a, um, a skill to writing picture books, right? This is not, not, not every single person can write a picture book. Um, so I think that it's admirable to see the gap and want to fill it, but it also takes, um, a lot of work to do that in an effective way. Absolutely. Yes. So shall I move on to the, the last book? Yeah, sure. Please. Okay. So my last book is called A Plan for Pops by Heather Sm- Smith and Brooke Kerrigan. And I almost missed this one because the LGBTQ content uh, didn't get into the cataloging information. It's actually a book about a child with two gay or two married uh, grandparents, grandfathers. Mm-hmm. And that is so rare. Um, so that's wonderful to begin with. Uh, the child themselves is gender ambiguous. Uh, the child's name is Lou, but the gender is never specified. So that's Love great. That. Yeah, you can read in what you wish or view them as non-binary. And it's just one of these wonderful stories where the... The fact that it's two grandfathers is completely incidental. The focus is on all the wonderful things the child likes to do with the grandfather. And there, there are just some, some wonderful lines uh, you know, when they're eating breakfast. Um, the, uh, the cereal they're having tastes like a rainbow, which is just <laughs> kind of fun. Um, and then one day, one of the grandparents falls. And it's off scene, so we don't actually see it. We, we sort of see their, their legs going off the, the page. Um, mm-hmm. But then on the next page, we realize that the, uh, the grandfather pops will need a wheelchair, not just for now, but for always. And so the child and the other grandfather have to deal with this. Uh, it turns out that the, the grandfather who's in a wheelchair doesn't want to come out of his room, um, we as adult readers might say that he was depressed, although that's never stated in the, the mm-hmm. book. 
and we see the child and the other grandfather trying to find something to make him happy and cheer him up, um, which they do, but not in a, oh, it's all better now, you know, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's done well. Um, and it's just, it's a sweet story about helping someone the illustrations are wonderful and have all of these just little things that add to the story from the, you know, the cute dog who's just in many of the scenes, but never mentioned um, to some of the kind of Rube Goldberg inventions that they all get up to creating. Uh, and it's, it's interesting actually that the illustrator gets full credit on the cover. It's not and illustrated by, it's just Heather Smith and Brooke Kerrigan because the the illustrations are such a an integral part of the book Mm. Um, right and the the child is white uh the grandfather who gets hurt is also white but the other one is black that's right it's so funny what you're saying now i can't think about uh, whenever i see that now i'm going to think about splitting the difference (laughs) (laughs) there are so many and again many families look like that but but others don't Um, one of the grandfathers is a little chunkier than the other so there's a little body diversity there too mm. uh, and we see one of them wearing a shirt with a rainbow on it although Aww. that's about the only nod to their um their queerness the, the well, only like, also nod see some amazing purple converse on the cover so, <laughs> yes there's some great shoe diversity too <laughs> and there's just there's just funny things about what they they each like doing um, you know, one of the grandfathers likes listening to, you know, old music on the radio. Um, th- there are really very few um, things I would, you know, things I would improve about it. It, it really is a wonderful story. And again, seeing queer grandparents is so rare. Um, but if you look at the the demographics, there are going to be a whole lot of uh, yeah. LGBTQ seniors, and many of them are going to be grandparents. And so and I think that it's also really powerful because, I mean, this is kind of a, not a dark thing to say, but like, you know, for queer people living to an old age is like, not always guaranteed. Um, and so it's nice to have the representation. Um, of older folks especially now you know with like you were saying now there are generations of you know people who are now going to be grandparents and it's just like well you can't be queer past your 20s in books (laughs) that's it so it's nice to be able to see that and I I also wanted to add that there's another another really good book that has incidental representation is called Princess Puffy Bottom and Daryl yes I love that with this Mm -hmm. one but I love that book it's it has you know, it, it just has to do with a cat and Princess Puffy Bottom, and the her owners get a dog and Daryl, and she's not very happy about that. And um, basically, it's about their whole relationship. But it just so happens that their owners are two women, and at the at the end, um, and also one of them is a, a person of color, or are they both people of color? I can't remember now. At least one of them is a person of color. And at the end of the book, um, you know, Princess Puffybottom finally comes to terms with Daryl. And the last line is, at least her, you know, her owners won't be bringing home any more su- surprises and they have a baby. Like, she, you know, so <laughs> that's, that, that's a cute one. Yes, yes. No, I, I like that one a lot. And I think there are so few books that show queer families where there's already one child and they're getting another sibling. Yeah, and that feels like a real gap because the ways in which we 
make our families are so deliberate that if there's yes. one child already in the house, they're going to see some of that, whether it's, you know, doing things related to adoption, which might involve travel or bringing home bags of medications for IVF or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a real need for, um, for more books that address yeah, this. Yeah, Aiden Prin- is the only one I can think of. There's Aiden. There's Princess Puffybottom, which is a little bit of an analogy yeah. because it's the animals. There's also uh, A Kid of Their Own by Megan Dowd Lambert, which it's actually a sequel to a previous book. Um, about animals on a farm but the farmers Mm. are two gay men and at the end of this one they bring home a a child that they specifically say they adopted Um, but but the story itself with the animals also involves a new animal in the farmyard so it's clearly an analogy for Mm -hmm. sibling rivalry (sighs) yeah but again there's there's not many where it's like overtly like Aiden where it's like a kid and a new baby you know there's a lot of sort of analogies but we that's definitely a gap that um we could use some more books about that because there are certainly queer families that have more than one kid yes (laughs) yes um I wonder uh for this for a plan for pops it seems like it's navigating a pretty like uh like the subject of aging and then also the subject of kind of uh mobility and mobility uh, difference and I wonder if you could talk about how it if, if you feel like it sensitively if it doesn't move into any ableism right because it sounds like the grandfather falls into maybe a depression because they will need to utilize a wheelchair which could kind of be read as a certain kind of ableist trope um, so I wonder but also that's kind of intersected here with aging so I wonder how how they handle that that nuance and if you could sure. speak to that a little bit I can, uh, with the caveat that, uh, you know, I am not in a wheelchair myself, so I'm, you know, I'm coming at it from an abled perspective. Um, so it, it does say initially that, uh, you know, he's too sad to leave his room, um, but the child and the other grandfather find a way to engage him, and he does... It, it works basically. I'll, I, I won't say what it is to to leave a little surprise, but but it works. And then the um, the grandfather says, "I think I might like to go to the library today." And they they bring him outside, and he sees the ramp they've built for the wheelchair, and he says, "I've never seen anything more beautiful." And they all go to the library, and we see them at the library, basically engaged in the things at the library that they've been engaged in at the mm. beginning of the book before the fall. Um, so, and, and actually we see one picture where the child is pushing the grandfather along in the wheelchair, but the grandfather is like leaning forward and his legs are out and he, he's clearly like enjoying feeling the, the wind <laughs> in his face. Um, so, so he's not like sad to be in the wheelchair at that point. So it yeah, feels right. like there was an initial transition when he's dealing with the difference in his mobility, but he's able to to move on and and find things to enjoy and to me like having obviously this is not this is secondhand but I've had one grandparent who lost mobility and ended up um, in a wheelchair before he passed and then I had a grandparent who is currently still alive who lost his sight Um, and I think they both did go through that transition of like you know being kind of bummed out about not being able to do the things that they were able to do um, before so I think that 
you know, if handled well, like it sounds like they did handle it well, I think that that's a valid, um, you know, narrative about aging. Um, Absolutely. That it, it can, you know, it's, my grandma's always like, it sucks to get old, don't get old. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, it's, there's certainly differences that happen. And I think that that sort of, it sounds like they honor, honor that without, um, you know, making it ableist. That's how I read it. But, you know, I, I obviously defer to, you know, to someone who was, uh, in a wheelchair or had, you know, mobility, uh, differences th- themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, right. I'll, I'll also mention, uh, it is from a Canadian publisher and is also available in French, <laughs> And and I think it would also, it would be a good book for any family, you know, LGBTQ or not, who's, um, you know, who's facing this kind of situation with an elderly parent or relative. Um, I I think it's it's a wonderful bridge building book in that sense, because it, it it has a lesson that's, um, it's broader than just for LGBTQ families. I'm actually really glad that you said that because my, my nieces, um, so I'm in Montreal and all my, my wife's family is all Francophone. They, they only speak French mostly. So all my nieces only speak French. And so it's hard because I have all these great books and I can't give any of them to them. And my, my mother-in-law right now is terminally ill and she just um, started oh, using wow. a wheelchair. So um, I think that would be a really great Book for them, so I appreciate that. Knowing that it's in French is so exciting. Yeah, and also relevant. Papa. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to get that. They so probably nice. hate. I'm just always giving them queer children's books. They're probably like, stop trying to push your queerness <laughs> on our children. Sorry, I'm not gonna. <laughs> well, because it's so hard to find them in French that whenever I find them, I'm like, take it. Yeah. yeah, and there were just such wonderful details in the illustrations here too. I, I think I mentioned the cute dog, and the child at one point like loses a sock, and it's never mentioned in the text, but we just kind of see them going throughout a few scenes with one sock on. <laughs> it's just great. That's so fun. I love that. Aww. Well, thank you so much for sharing all those. I think most of those were ones that I hadn't heard of, or at least I had heard of this one, but didn't know too much about it. Um, so I'm excited to get my hands on some of these. My Absolutely. my bank account's not going to be excited, but I'm excited. I'm going to buy, <laughs> buy all these. Um, but anyway, thank you both so much for your time and um, for sharing these books. I'm so I'm so thrilled, like I said, that there are so many. Um, and even as we were like going, we were like, oh, and also there's this one and that one and this one. Um, it's just, right. just so exciting. Yeah, um, Dana, thank you so much for joining us. This was so, so wonderful to have your perspective and to be introduced to, yeah, these books that some of which were not on my radar at all. I'm so excited to add to our to our library and our book list. Oh, and thank, you for ha- thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, I think... We just need to talk them up because it is sometimes so hard to find them. Uh, so thank you yeah, for, absolutely. for doing this. And Dana, if, if people want to find you in the work that you do, where can they go? Uh, the best place is my website, mombian.com. That's M-O-M-B-I-A-N. And I'm also on Twitter at mombian and on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash mombian. Amazing. Um, that's about it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Yeah, thank you.
rad. <laughs>